Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. An unprecedented $400 billion is now on the table for federal climate adaptation. How is the money going to be allocated throughout the banking system? Are banks and the companies they underwrite ready to make this transition? Who stands to benefit the most? On September 28th in New York City, Ceres is bringing together leading bankers, investors, and regulators for financing a net zero economy, an event focusing on this exciting time and climate transition planning. Dan Sicardi, Program Director of the Ceres Company Network, joins me today to discuss the hot topics that the panels of experts will be covering. Green financing, client engagement, just transition, and robust disclosures. I'm excited to be talking to Dan today because Ceres is leading the charge on working with the financial sector to address these climate change challenges. But before we start, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the work and the important work that Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful networks and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable, market-based, and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. Hello, Dan, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hi there, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm very glad you could join us today. This is actually our our kickoff episode uh, with Ceres as our sponsor, so I'm so glad uh, that you're with us today. And our first question, let's just jump right into that list of questions here. Dan, why is Ceres convening the Financing a Net Zero Economy event? Sure, Paul, happy to to provide some context. Um, So I think first it's important to understand that the financial sector has a critical role to play in enabling the transition to a low carbon economy. And we're really at a pivotal time where financial institutions are moving from some important commitments that have been made over the past year, year and a half, into really how do you go about implementing those commitments? Um, And so as the the sector navigates these uncharted waters, we feel that now is a time um, to bring the community together, to learn from one another, uh, to share best practices, and to really tackle some of the key underlying challenges. So our our event on September 28th in New York will bring together key players across the sector, um, from the banks themselves, to investors, to regulators, policymakers, as well as civil society, um, because all of these um, players have key roles to play, and it's important for them to uh, to hear, you know, what might be some best practices, where are their common opportunities, but also importantly, where are common challenges on issues such as transition plans, um, green finance, client engagement, just transition, and all the important disclosures that that go along with uh, all those important actions. So our event will be covering these topics, um, ranging from implementing net zero commitments 
to investor expectations of banks, investors who are both investing in the banks themselves and are making progress on their own net zero commitments, uh, to aligning both the, the risk and the opportunity side of what banks are doing uh, into a comprehensive climate strategy, um, as well as important topic of principles for just transition. Maybe breaking some news here, depending on when this gets aired, but um, some of our keynotes will include uh, Tom Steyer, who we just confirmed uh, over the weekend that we're excited to have, uh, as well as Adrian Harris, who's a superintendent for uh, the New York State Department of Financial Services, and Brad Lander, who's a New York City controller. Terrific. So now we're going to air this program uh, on September 6th, the day after Labor Day. So hopefully we're not um, breaking any embargo uh, by no, doing that. No, no. <laughs> okay, good. So now uh, let's move on, Dan, to uh, to what is happening coming out of the, the White House, which of course everybody has been following this story over the last couple of weeks. President Biden recently signed the Inflation Reduction Act, otherwise known as the IRA, the largest ever legislative package on addressing climate change. So what are the implications for the banking sector in providing over $400 billion in climate-related federal financing? Yes, yeah, a great question. And uh, I think that the quick answer is that there are uh, many important implications, but uh, you know, perhaps I could hit on um, two that, that may be most significant. First is the, the dollar amount you, you mentioned, uh, you're nearly $400 billion, is a unprecedented investment uh, in the transition to a low carbon economy. Um, it ranges everywhere from $30 billion in production tax credits to $10 billion in investment tax credits, uh, $27 billion in clean energy technology accelerator um, to advance renewable energy and clean technologies with a particular focus on disadvantaged communities, which is critically important. Um, and the, you know, the, the billions of dollars go on and on. But I think what is you know, beyond the dollar amounts, which again are unprecedented, a key feature of the um, IRA is the level of certainty that it's providing. And um, as your listeners may know, you know, insert, um, certainty is really a, a critical aspect of providing an, an effectively functioning financial markets. And so providing, in addition to you know, the $30 billion production tax credit and $10 billion investment that I mentioned, those span 10 years. And so this will help um, you know, break the boom and bust cycle that we've seen with renewable energy, where there's a uh, a ramp up in investment when in, uh, investment or production tax credits are renewed, and then those start to fall off a bit of a cliff when they uh, are potentially expiring, and then they get renewed. There's more investment. This will provide a uh, really an unprecedented uh, window of certainty that can provide um, the runway for some of these long term investment. Um, that's needed for things like offshore wind that takes years to uh, to site, to get approved, and then to build. And these projects can now move forward more aggressively because there won't be that, um, you know, will they or won't they extend the tax credit uh, uncertainty that's been hanging over a lot of these projects at times. Now, let me ask you a question about a, another organization that's going to be represented and speaking at, at the uh, uh, Net Zero event. And that is the World Benchmarking Analysis, the WBA. They, so there are now 
analytics platforms that are going to be presenters and obviously very interested in this kind of an integrated process that has so much federal backing. Uh, I'm assuming that that, that Ceres was, was uh, anxious to have those people participate in an event like this. Yes, for sure. Uh, there's a World, World Benchmarking Alliance. We also have uh, folks like um, Moody's presenting. And the, the data analysis piece of this is critically important because as banks, again, go from the commitment side of setting net zero uh, 2050 goals, which is obviously a long way off towards the more near-term implementation of those goals, a key challenge will be getting some of the uh, important data from their clients because the banks themselves um you know their the heart of their missions isn't in their headquarters um and their various offices which though substantial are you know dwarf in comparison to the missions associated with all the companies that they provide financing to and so having the the metrics and the analytics to be able to um, aggregate and measure the the emissions from what are you know literally thousands of of companies that individual banks are providing financing to is you know frankly a daunting challenge and is something that's just getting underway and it will require um you know both a increase in capabilities from the banks themselves but also from um, some of these third parties that are doing some of the important work of first estimating emissions when some of the underlying data isn't available right now but also working with companies to create a more comprehensive picture from their actual underlying emissions profiles. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure you're very familiar with this phrase, but uh, it's been a part of the sustainable finance um, landscape for many years. And that is, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? So that's, that's a very important part of this whole process. So thanks for expanding on that. Can you share with our listeners a couple of examples of net zero commitments that large banks have made and how they are backing the commitments through sector-specific 2030 targets? Sure. So all of the uh, the big six U.S.-based banks have set net zero by 2050 commitments. And, and that goes back to what I was saying, that the past 12 to 18 months have been a very important period for goal setting and commitment making. Um, and then what we're seeing now is that um, important but aspirational long-term commitment being um, supported by nearer term 2030 targets. So in addition to uh, making those uh, net zero by 2050 commitments, which we started to see uh, towards the end of 2020 um, and, and rolling into uh, 2021, uh, they've then um, all of the big six have also now set 2030 targets for at least oil and gas and the electric power sectors. And four of the six have also set targets for, uh, for the transportation sector. Um, these are important places to start because, you know, as we all can imagine, those are some of the most emissions intensive sectors. But we say, you know, these are necessary but not sufficient. Um, you know, to truly have uh, comprehensive 2030 targets, these will have to be covering all the sectors or at least all the major sectors that they're providing financing to that have uh, climate implications. And we do expect starting uh, this fall and probably rolling into early 2023, we'll start to see those sectors expand past these three to other key areas uh, such as industrial uh, sectors, steel and cement, agriculture. 
Um, you know, to your question about what are some of the specific 2030 targets, it's um, it, it's a bit challenging to say. I mean, generally speaking, what we've seen from the banks is that uh, for oil and gas, they've generally set reduction targets by 2030 in the range of 25 to 30 percent. For electric power, it's in the range of 60 to 70 percent. For transportation, it's in the the 40 percent uh, plus range. But uh, it's interesting to note that it's hard to, to compare you know, one bank to another because they're all based on a lot of complex details, such as you know what are the underlying scenarios used, a intensity or absolute based, um, are there different baseline years? Um, and this is actually why we uh, series are uh, beginning a project that should be um, you know concluding in the fall that will be you know kind of peeling back some of this. Um, complicated details such that it will be easier to say, um, you know, here's how Bank A's uh, 2030 targets compares to Bank B's, which right now um, is, is hard to, to summarize in, in just a, a headline number. Got it. Okay, well, we look forward to that report when it's available. Uh, now, if you would remind our listeners who the big six are, uh, I'm not sure that, uh, that all of them know. Yeah, absolutely. And and sorry, sometimes can get caught up in that's okay. Thinking. That's all right. Uh, but but the big six would be uh, Bank of America, City, Goldman Sachs, uh, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. Wow. Yeah, they they, they probably are controlling a, a bit of the issuance capital uh, in the in the markets, right? <laughs> okay. Now that now we're going to take it down to uh, uh, the much closer level. Uh, of looking at what is a CDFI. What are, first of all, what does CDFI stand for? And what role can these types of financial instruments play in the engagement of banks with at-risk communities to capture just transition opportunities, as you mentioned before, through principles of financial inclusion? Sure. Yeah. So to, to unpack some more jargon, uh, so CDFI stands for Community Development Financial Institution. And so these are financial institutions that can be banks, uh, credit unions, uh, loan funds, uh, even uh, venture capital funds that provide financial services to low-income communities and to people who lack access to traditional financing or, or banking. And so these uh, are critical um, you know, ways to, to get to some of these communities that have been adversely impacted by what we're already seeing as the, the physical impacts of climate change. And, and those impacts will obviously only be worsening as climate change becomes more severe. And you know, the, in addition to, to some of the, um, you know, the financing they mentioned before through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, there is a, a lot of financing dedicated um, to low income and disproportionately impacted communities. And the CDFIs will be important ways that that financing will, will reach uh, individuals. And you know, some of this, some of the consumer facing elements of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, um, you know, such as home energy rebates for efficiency and retrofitting, um, tax credits for energy efficiency, um, tax credits for uh, used and new electric vehicles. Um, certainly the, the large banks will be providing a lot of these services, but also CDFIs 
um, will be important uh, points of access for, for many communities. And the larger banks themselves are uh, financers and investors in CDFIs. And so as large banks are flowing you know, some of this capital, CDFIs will be beneficiaries of them. So it sounds like at least some of this capital is going to flow through the entire banking system and and has a lot of potential to support communities in need as well as corporations. So let's talk about a particularly important aspect of this when it comes to bank client relationships. How will client engagement be affected by this unprecedented infusion of capital into the through the banking system. Yeah, so client engagement is really a critical piece of all of this. As I was mentioning before, you know, banks themselves don't have direct control over the um, vast majority of the emissions that their financing um, contributes to, and so you know the real the only meaningful way that banks will be able to, to bend the curve on their clients' emissions is through infective engagement, um, which can range everywhere from educating clients that may not be fully aware of, of um, what might be expected of them, of how to set their own uh, net zero goals, how to develop their own transition strategies so that a uh, a client and having emitting sector uh, can still be doing business with and, and getting financing from a bank. But while doing so, developing a plan to transition its business in a way that is both um, profitable for the, for the client themselves, but is importantly um, you know, reducing its long-term emissions profile. And what, what is probably reasonable to, to expect through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act is that that is providing you know, a very big uh, carrot in terms of you know, tremendous amount of resources that will be flowing into the economy and banks will be able to go to these clients and say, you know, while the uh, the task of transitioning your business may be daunting, here are you know, a whole range of resources, including, you know, very specific financial resources that can help you um, do that. And, and, you know, a lot of the uh, the money in, in the act will provide resources to things like manufacturing to decarbonize their businesses. And so that that can be, you know, a really positive incentive to help decarbonize. In addition to, you know, ultimately down the road, if, if clients aren't moving as fast as they need to be, you know, there may be more um, more types of, of conversations that, uh, you know, could get to the sixth side of the equation. But the hope is that, you know, through this infusion of financing that, uh, you know, Keras can get um, some important progress made quickly. And thanks so much for spending this time with us today. I know we're going to want to come back to this in a future program. Where can our listeners go online to learn more about the Financing a Net Zero Economy event and register for it? And how can they reach you with questions about what we've discussed on today's podcast episode? Sure, absolutely. So uh, anyone interested in the event can go to events.series.org forward slash net zero. And series, as you mentioned earlier, is C-E-R-E-S. So that's events.series.org forward slash net zero. Um, and if anyone would like to reach out to me, uh, feel free to shoot me an email. Um, it's my last name, S-A-C-C-A-R-D-I at series.org. Terrific. Well, thanks again, Dan Sicardi, Program Director of the Series Company Network. 
and to our sponsor, the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within Series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org slash accelerator. And to our listeners, join us again next week. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you.